In a cute, cozy bookshop, a literary killer drops a full set of the Encyclopedia Britannica from the highest shelf. The free fall of knowledge fatally educates the reader below. For their final chapter, the victim grabs a book and turns to page 123. Is it a clue to the murder? Is it a hint at the motive? No. It's Dying Message, the detective anime mystery podcast. Welcome to Dying Message, where each week we watch detective anime along with a mystery guest. Today's case, Detective Academy Q, episode 23, The Train Alibi. I'm your lead investigator, Noah Max Levine, or at least that's what I say to myself in the mirror every morning when I put on my detective hat. Now, um, we are going to get to the bottom of this episode today and solve that mystery. As always, you can watch the anime beforehand if you like. You don't even have to watch it at all if you don't want to, but we will be spoiling everything that there is to spoil in this episode. It's kind of an odd one, so be warned that uh, we'll, we're going to spo spoil that for you if you want to try to solve it yourself. Joining me is our resident anime expert, Michael Savitsky. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, I gave that title to Mike because he's resident in this apartment where we have spent most of 2020. <laughs> and as I uh, say this about him every week, it starts to get a bit repetitive. So I was thinking, Michael, maybe you wanted to come up with a different title for yourself this just for this week to change it up a bit. Uh, I could be the captain of the podcast. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> and why, what, why? What is your explanation for that? It's a title I thought of on the spot. <laughs> so joining me is the captain of the podcast, Michael Savitsky, who came up with that title on the spot. Michael, what have you got for us today? Well, uh, this week I was thinking about uh, Japanese autumn, uh, specifically because, you know, we've entered the, the autumn season of the anime, as is apparent from the CG uh, maple leaves falling mm -hmm. in the end theme. So that got me thinking about that. Uh, and so there's the, the Japanese tradition of momijigari, or literally like the red leaf hunt, essentially. Uh, momiji are the Japanese maple leaves yeah, uh, that are very iconic. Uh, I really like those trees. We had one in our yard growing up. Uh, and yeah, so not much more to it than that Yeah, uh, in terms of, you know, going to a, a park to look at leaves just like they do in New England Uh it seems like just yesterday we were talking about beach episodes, and now here we are. Yeah, that's why. It's that's autumn. what made me think we must have moved on to the autumn season, because we've done the summer episode. Yeah. <laughs> now we have leaves in the theme song. Also, something that I always think about uh -huh. with Japanese uh, autumn, which is not something we have. You know how we have uh, ice cream trucks in the summer? Yeah. Uh, so what they have in Japan during autumn is something called the Yakimo truck which is, it's this cute little truck with like an oven on the back and they, they sell so sweet, food roasted sweet potatoes that you just eat like a hand fruit. Doesn't that sound lovely? Yeah, mm -hmm. that is. Yeah. I want it. That is neat. Yeah. Well, as the seasons continue to turn, you'll continue to tell us about the anime seasons, I'm sure. Winter is coming. <laughs> you've been, you, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've been saying that in our daily life. Um... So I do have a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, we just finished up the past two episodes. We were doing Dying Message Challenge, which was a competitive book club. Mm -hmm. uh, we lost. covered. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, we covered um, 
Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada, and we you tried to figure out the mystery, mm-hmm. which is maybe impossible for any human to do. So people should definitely go check that out. I don't know. What did you think? You were there. I was there. Uh, it was fun. You're, you're not going to solve it. I'm going to declare that. But will they enjoy listening to it? Unless you record your entire life to prove that you didn't. Yeah. I'm not going to believe you if you said you solved it. <laughs> <laughs> check it out. It's a once-in-a-lifetime book reading slash podcast listening experience. Um, and if you have thoughts on that or anything else, you can always email them to us at dyingmessagepodcast at gmail.com. And I also wanted to sound the alarm. That's the wrong phrase. Oh, no. Because we're now in the back half of Detective Academy Q. We've covered half of it. We're now covering the second half. And uh, that's an accomplishment, I think. Great. And to celebrate, let's bring in our mystery guest. In this episode, the culprit of sorts is an author of picture books. So we have a mystery guest who has written some, not picture books, but books <laughs> for kids of old and older age. Great. So- <laughs> <laughs> Making connections. That's how you solve the mystery, Michael. Okay. okay. With a board and lots of thumbtacks and string. <laughs> Our guest this episode, this is who he is. He is a children's book author and professional tabletop game master, founder of the Game Masters Co-op of New York City, which you can find at werun.games. His uh, debut novel, Top Elf, is a, quote, Christmas meets anime tournament arc novel, which is available anywhere books are sold. His upcoming series about anxiety disorders, courtroom drama, and secret dog society starts with Buster in March 2021. And he is working on solving the case of the mysterious book recommendation. I've cracked the case. It's Caleb Zane Hewitt. Hello. I also like to think of myself as the bosun of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if you could just just come on for one episode and and be awarded a title. Hmm. I see. Well, <laughs> I did start that with I like to think of myself as. So I oh, feel like yes. you can't really argue against me there. Yes. Also, all I did to earn my title was exist in this apartment with you. So <laughs> I think you set the bar low. Your name is on the lease. It mm-hmm. is. And I watched you come up with your title live today. <laughs> so the bar is not very high. Clearly, we could spend more time arguing about this, but um. I wanted to ask you some things. I'm ready. A connection I drew is that I've just started going by my full name with my middle name in there when we started recording this podcast for, for a variety of reasons. But as long as I've known you, you've always used had your middle name in there. Mm-hmm. Why, why do we do this? Uh, well, the short answer is that my middle name is the coolest name in my name. <laughs> uh, I think the name Zane is like the most like unusual and interesting part. And so I left it there. Also because I think... I don't know, as whenever I sat down and was like, I have to pick a name for books, like for children's books, something about having three names feels correct. Whereas like having just a regular human name that I look at and think about all day on a book seems wrong. Well, you could have been CZ Hewitt. Absolutely. If I had like written horror, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a horror name, I think. (laughs) What, like R.L. Stein? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just those sounds, the like CZ sounds are both very like, almost like aggressive. Yeah, we don't we don't want to scare people away from buying a book. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Much in the way that I am the bosun of the podcast, I think that having the full title Caleb Zane Hewitt makes everybody know exactly how important and comfortable I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a way to distinguish yourself from all the other Caleb Hewitts in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's thousands. <laughs> there may be. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's a secret society. There's a mailing list. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, what can you tell us about your books? You got one coming out soon, so Mm -hmm. what's that about? (laughs) Uh, Well, I write books for kids that are like ages 8 to 12 is like the main Uh audience, but I try to write stuff that's pretty approachable for everybody. Uh, I have a pretty heavy focus on comedy in general, and especially my book that's already out, Top Elf, is just basically jokes top to bottom. It's about a competition to be the next Santa Claus. Uh, And then my upcoming book is a little bit more serious, but the premise is like equally ridiculous, I think. The general idea is that there is a boy named Tonio with an anxiety and panic disorder who gets a service dog to help him out with this. Uh, But the service dog realizes that in order to really help Tonio the way that Tonio needs to be helped, he's going to have to reveal the truth about all dogs, which is that they are all secretly intelligent. And that gets him sent to court. So Uh, your book's... The one is out, the one's coming out, kids 8 to 12 or other people could enjoy. Mm-hmm. So let's connect some more dots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you about anime. What's your experience with that? Okay, my experience with anime is uh, is that anime has been in constant since I was like literally born. My dad was also a really big anime fan. Uh, and so all of my favorite movies growing up were like Miyazaki movies. My Neighbor Totoro was like my big one as a kid. Uh, but even some of my most formative memories are like my dad watching anime movies that I wasn't allowed to watch, like watching like very intense, scary ones, like Ninja Scrolls in the other room, uh, that I was just like, like lightly going up to the edge of his room to try to peek in until people noticed I was paying attention. Doesn't Ninja Scroll start off with some really creepy guy, like biting a lady's, uh, off. It's horrible. It's like, I mean, the movie itself, I have not watched it as an adult. I'm sure it's beautiful. I'm sure it's incredibly well made. Every single memory I have of it is extremely traumatic. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a particularly, it's from that weird ultraviolence era of early 90s anime with where you've got like MD Geist and all the weird, obscenely violent to be violent anime, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's like, it's almost like they're showing off. Like, look at all these crazy things we can do with animation now. Yeah. yeah. Michael, I just want to remind you, you're not the resident anime expert today. You're just captain of the podcast, so you do not have to chime in. Don't make me turn this boat around, <laughs> Noah. You don't no, have I... to chime in with all this anime. <laughs> I love it because it makes me feel like I can just reference something and Michael will will gratefully take all of the actual <laughs> knowledge and share it with the world. And uh, I just sometimes have to express confusion as, a, as an in for the other listeners mm-hmm. who don't know what's going on. Which, um, I mean, as long as we're talking about Detective Academy Q and Detective Anime, I generally do know what's going on. But mm-hmm. then I start to get lost mm-hmm. when I leave that. And speaking of Detective Anime, I don't know. Oh, wait, do, we, do I wait on that? Am I not supposed to do that yet? I will ask the question in a second, but you can beat me to the punch. No, no, I'm holding it and I'll, I'll stay... I'll keep the format. Okay, well, before we get to that, I just want to ask you about mysteries more generally. Mm -hmm. So the mystery genre covers TV shows, movies, podcasts, books, parties. The back of a cereal box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you like it? Do you do it? Do you hate it? I definitely love mysteries. And my, I definitely have not engaged with it as much as an adult as I did when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, I was one of those people who was very sure that if I was put into a mystery situation, I would absolutely be able to solve it. And then whenever I got one of those books that was like, solve these one page mysteries, I could never solve any of them, but I would read the back (laughs) and then I would show them to people and tell them the solution as if I had come up with it. Yeah. Uh, That's the kind of kid that I was. I liked mysteries as sort of a self-aggrandizing opportunity, I think. Those books would be great for podcasts, by the way. Just an idea. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I, I had those. My mom would buy me lots of those. And you're right. Like, I don't know if I've ever solved maybe a single one. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. They're like these episodes, but they are presented 
in such a way that like it's basically about reading comprehension i guess they're like did yeah. you pay attention to the one word where he accidentally said parakeet instead of parrot you should do those you should do like a challenge right i mean that's exactly what the podcast that we just did the two, last two episodes were, except instead of making people read one to two pages, I made people read 320 pages of a book. <laughs> which, like, And you couldn't oh even gosh. solve one page, and you want... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> For which, by the way, I'm, like, super grateful of the of Mike and the other two people who did that last week um, and made that fun thing for you all. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear what you almost told us uh, ahead of time. <laughs> Detective <laughs> Anime. Yes. So uh, I think it's probably a recurring thing on your podcast, people talking about Conan. Um, yeah. But I uh, I used to like work so hard to stay up late enough to see it on, uh, gosh, what would it come on? I think it was Adult Swim. Adult Swim. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I used to work so, so hard to try to stay up long enough to see it because I loved it so much. And my... Uh, Used to be when I was a kid, my dad, whenever he wanted to go on a date or whatever, would just like drop me off at Barnes and Noble and I'd read some manga just like sitting there and put it back. And Conan was one of the ones that I would try to read while I was there. Ooh. Yeah. Barnes and Noble's great for hanging out and reading manga. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We've had a couple people who were familiar with Case Close slash Detective Conan. I would say anybody who has seen anything, anything in this genre at all has seen that. Mm-hmm. They're approaching a thousand episodes, which but is crazy. But we're not going to explain it. We will someday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll we'll do it. We'll do, we'll do it. We'll we'll get there. Awesome. I feel like we're all on the same page, and we can start talking about what happened with this alibi on this train. But first, Michael, <laughs> what what even is Detective Academy Q? We took some weeks off, and now just remind me what are we? Oh, watching? okay. Since you forgot, uh, Detective Anime Q is the adve- is basically the adventures of this group of like outcasty. They're not smart. They're not dumb. They all have yeah. weird specific abilities, and they go to DDS, the Don Detective School, where they're essentially in a special class trying to succeed the headmaster of the school in his position as like the lead detective with the Japanese police, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they learn things, solve mysteries, all that fun stuff. Do they learn things? I think they just solve mysteries. We've seen them in class once. They have very (laughs) specific things they learn, which the group of you have already gone over, but which we do see in full force in this episode. (laughs) Be there before a crime happens. Just be there while it's happening. (laughs) Oh yeah, their intersection with this crime is top notch. Unbelievable. This entire episode is, it's, in my mind, basically... Like, the nightmare scenario of being the person who is trapped in the vortex of a detective show. Yes! Not not being the detectives, but being trapped in the vortex and having coincidence just ruin your life. Yeah. I mean, it, she chose to murder, so... You know. That's true. <laughs> she, well, especially because every piece of this episode is, like, built to make you empathize with her, with the killer. Like, that's yes. the way it's shot and written mm-hmm. and done. It's very strange for this format. That's an impression I would often get from Detective Conan as well, um, and Kendaichi Case Files in some episodes we've seen of this, is like, it's a tragedy for everyone involved. The person mm-hmm. that was killed is usually a jerk, and we are supposed to empathize with the killer in a weird way. I think there's just a general faith in humanity that doesn't exist in a lot of American crime television, and that yeah. mm-hmm. people could only commit such an atrocious act because they're pushed into such an atrocious place. Right, It's it's a different kind of... It's the the crime of passion versus, like, you know, mm-hmm. the people on Dexter. Right. Which I haven't seen, but I assume they're just cutting people up for shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think mm-hmm. the difference in the, between, like, that in, 
most of these like detective stories in these shows is that this one displays such a complete lack of tension as a result. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's so interesting and so different. So let's cross the threshold into talking about the episode. And by threshold, I mean the opening song. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about this in detail in episode 12, because this is a, the second opening they've had. So it's fairly new to us. But I just wanted to grab your thoughts real fast. Um, I love it. To be honest, based on I have not watched the, uh, the, the version of episode one I saw didn't have a theme song. So I have not heard the old theme song. Based on your description... In uh, episode eight, though, I would say that this one successfully maintains the same reputation as that one, which is that it starts kind of like weird bubblegum pop, does some fun travel between multiple genres. Uh, but but when you're watching it, and I was watching it with my partner today to sort of have him see it and hear what he said too, and the response to it is basically like this makes it seem like it's going to be this like very lighthearted comedy show about all these people just like living their silly merry-go-round lives. Oh my god, I we, I'll stop doing shout-outs to old episodes, but in the the five episode plot arc we covered in episode eleven was just like the most upsetting depressing thing we had ever seen (laughs) like five episodes of darkness Uh right like they walk this weird line where it's these very childlike children doing very fun rumpy things but then also dealing with murder and death man i don't know if it's quite if they brush stroke it together quite right i don't know yeah maybe that's the (laughs) merry-go-round that they're referencing like like (laughs) the, the change between the chill fun innocence of youth and the drama of the murder Hmm. Yes. Uh, well, you, you did see that uh, some other episodes. So you did catch some of the characters that weren't in this episode. You also yes. caught some glimpses of them in the opening. But that's one of the interesting things is so far, really, there's like five kids that go on these adventures together and they've all been in all the episodes. But this episode, we just have Q and Kinta on this little train adventure together. So let's just uh, quickly, Caleb, what is your impression of Q and what is your impression of Kinta? <laughs> Okay, so the funny thing about Q is that I feel like he's not given a personality at all until like the last 45 seconds of this episode. He, <laughs> he makes no facial expressions, he uh, <laughs> except for his like sort of general smile. We, we are given his like his personality by way of his actions, which is that he's like nosy and he says he's nosy and he seems very comfortable yeah. in the fact that he is like, quote unquote, annoying. Um, but the like final bit we hear a little bit about who he is and what his family like life has been like uh, right and even just that little glimpse of it in the last minute made him more likable than he was in the first episode or in anything else i've seen of him so far i mean i i really strongly identified him with because the first thing that happens in this episode is he's staring at these to-go lunch boxes to take on the train and he can't decide what to get so he gets three <laughs> and that is true to to my experience trying to pick like, so just you identify with his decision paralysis just not his character yeah <laughs> totally can we talk about that moment for a second because i know sure. you joked about tension a minute ago but that moment is so funny because it actually it's almost like a reverse joke on the whole episode because they right. do this like huge build-up of the drama of this decision that isn't actually a decision and then immediately show us an actual murder step-by-step, pretty gently (laughs) after that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's there's so many things I love about exactly how this played out. I'm Mm -hmm. so so excited. (laughs) So Kinta, he's the other guy that's on this train today. Oh, yes. And he is most notable to me because of his vest. 
I don't know if you've already talked about this before, but his vest was uh, great. I wanted him to it, pull out some gadgets. These are new once-in-a-lifetime uh, outfits. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've actually been surprised as we've been watching. I really thought they had kind of distinct costumes in their first appearances, but they've really like often had different costumes in each kind of arc. Yeah. I loved the clothes of the two boys. The like his like cargo shorts and the weird wraparound pattern on his big t-shirt. The talking about Q, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. I, Q's shirt was baffling to me. It's like if you cut a kilt down the <laughs> seam and then tried to make a t-shirt out of it with scraps of an old t-shirt. Like it's so baffling the pattern. Yeah. <gasps> yes. You, it, there were no seams visible, but it really gave you the impression that he was like having to feel them. Very, very much under the shirt. <laughs> just to add to the lameness of it, I wish they had done that thing that they used to do in older cartoons where they would just have the plaid pattern be a background and have a transparent uh, cell pass over it so that the pattern moved instead of staying in place. The chalk zone effect, as I yes. thought of it as a kid. <laughs> that. The I see you say lameness. I think that that outfit is great. And I think that <laughs> that as a as a middle schooler, that is like exactly what I wanted to look like. And the two of them are going deep sea fishing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he probably had some tackle in that vest. He probably had... Uh, it's been a while since I've been fishing. Well, one of them had a tackle <laughs> box, and the other one had a backpack that said Big Boy on it. <laughs> Was there a Big Boy inside? I don't know. We didn't check. <laughs> well, I haven't been deep sea fishing in a while, but if I recall correctly, you've got to have your Big Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Quinta, Quinta's most notable to me because he reminds me a lot of Leorio from Hunter x Hunter. Mm. Based on his first episode and this one, I can tell that his thing is that he's sort of like the kick guy. He does kicks. Yeah. And on top of that, he's like the tall one who looks much older than everybody else. Um, and he's also kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah, he's just a bit less capable than everyone else. I think that's a good parallel. Past comparisons we've gotten are Brock from Pokemon, which I have reference for, and Spike from Cowboy Bebop, mm -hmm. which I don't have a reference for because I haven't seen that. Mm. Well, he's not Spike because Spike is cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the comparison to Brock has more to do with his character design. Than yeah, he looks, he looks kind of similar. Yeah. Um, in this episode, he's really kind of a counterbalance to Q just kind of being his like kind of naive trusting self mm -hmm. so that Q can kind of solve the mystery out from under him. Mm -hmm. Right. So we mentioned, so we've introduced these two characters. Uh, they're the only ones who we've seen before, except for some people that pop in briefly. So they, they get this lunch, they get onto the train and I wanted to bring up that because I don't know about you all, but I l like to buy a meal before I get on the train. Mm -hmm. And then I'm very particular about it. I won't start eating it until the train starts moving and like really gets underway. I'm like this in cars and planes too. I don't know. No, I totally understand that. I think, I don't know about cars and planes exactly, but there's something about riding in a train that's definitely kind of a ritual, which is part of why I think it's interesting for mysteries. But like, I completely get that. It's like the train begins to move. I begin to eat. This trip has its path. Yeah. And it's like, if you could eat on the train, why would you not? Why would you eat some? Why would you eat before the train? What mm -hmm. if you get motion sick and you would just barf? Well, that's no good. <laughs> that's my life. Oh, you get sick even on trains? If I like try to read or anything. Ugh, that is heartbreaking. I'm sorry. Yeah. We've had some successful train rides. Yeah, I just have to not read. Remember that time we <laughs> sat opposite someone who committed a murder during the train ride and we caught them? We did. Anyway. That ha that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the, yeah, so they're sitting there, and this is like I literally wrote down what terrible luck 
Kaori Minazuki as. Because she walks into this episode and onto this train, and she asks to sit opposite Q and Kinta. She walks in with a great plan, too. Like, a really good plan, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I I (laughs) I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's a decent plan, but it goes awry in every possible way. Yeah. So let's talk about her. She is the culprit of the episode, we can say. She's a picture book author, so she's written a series of children's picture books, apparently for years, because Q read them when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. She is our uh, character with glasses. There's always one in every episode. She's a pretty girl with glasses who is committing crimes. Um, And I think her yellow shirt is distinctive because when later when she does the murder, she covers it up with another coat, Mm -hmm. which is a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Her murder coat. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have your good murder coat whenever you're going on a train. Your packed lunch, your murder coat. Uh, you guys do an, a really enviable job of staying very, very positive about this show. And I, <laughs> uh, I, my, my biggest complaint that I just want to get out of the way is her design because it is the most anime crime. Like we've designed someone who doesn't know she's as beautiful as she is. Kind of criminal <laughs> design. Yeah. I would go so far as to say that she is, uh, oh, what is the what is the teacher's name? Katagiri Shino. She is Katagiri with a haircut. Like, yeah, they're pretty similar. I see that. When I saw the, like, the, the next episode preview, watching the previous episode, I was like, oh, Katagiri got a haircut. And, oh, no, it's not her. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's a generic energy to her. I think you mean Katagiri cut her own hair. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. She got a haircut. Oh, you just well, read her to filth. I'm sorry. She's had a tough time. I get it. Let's talk all about Kari. Let's talk about her motive. I think we can kind of jump around, especially because this episode really doesn't keep any secrets. I mentioned Columbo previously, and it was giving me that vibes of it's like we see everything the culprit does. We see everything the detectives do. And how do they kind of interact with each other in the way that the case gets solved? So Kari Minazuki, she will later kill this man named Kenji Taga who is her editor, or was her editor, at the publishing house. And also her former lover. Right. Because you were talking about how she has this, like, doesn't know she's so pretty, and that really ties into this terrible relationship she was apparently in. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's I think, the actual mystery of this episode. It's not, <laughs> it's not like, uh, who did it? It is, did he deserve it? That's what the show wants us to be wondering <laughs> did he the whole time. It? That's like really, I think that legitimately is the question the writers wanted you to be thinking the whole time because they don't tell us why she's doing it until pretty late. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so let's talk about that. So she sends him a threatening letter to get him to meet her so she can murder him. But she puts another name on it. Right. The letter is making it sound like she's an up and coming author instead of her established self. And we're told that he's going to reveal her identity to ruin her, though there's no never any explanation of what that means. Well, because he wasn't fooled at all by the letter, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there's also this sort of running theme uh, for her character. And I think her name is an allusion to it because cowl means face. And yeah. she's pretty two-faced. Like she acts mm-hmm. very sweet and nice, but she's also oh. got this really like mean undercutting sort of uh, yes. attitude. She does this great turn at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we learn about the relationship between the two of them, between her and the editor? We see the phone image. So we know that they're exes pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we I guess the the thing we learn about them is that she kills him because that happens so, so soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like what he left her for her assistant and then got engaged oh, to the we, assistant. Oh, do we we're doing the, the yeah. interview. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh he left her for her assistant and got engaged there. Right. Mm-hmm. Which made her cry a lot. Uh-huh. And tear up her own house. Yeah. 
She really werewolfed that house. <laughs> she tore up her own house and comes to the conclusion that she's got to kill this guy. <laughs> yes, and but it's not just, it's also not just that he got in a relationship with her uh, apprentice. It's that, like, he specifically tells her, I'm marrying your apprentice, and therefore your career's over. It's pretty rude. Well, it's a toxic power dynamic kind of relationship, because she's in a relationship with specifically her editor, and he's like, I'm leaving you, and also, I don't want you to do your job anymore. Yeah, I'm firing yeah. you twice. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you know, it's the kind of thing that would inspire someone to maybe rehearse a very elaborate, not that elaborate in the grand scheme of things, murder. It's not that elaborate. It's not that elaborate. It's extremely believable. Yeah. It's also got some mad uh, initial D energy going on because she tears, she runs to her car and just tears out of that parking lot. My face, initial D. It's a driving anime that's mostly about driving. Like cars, like yeah, racing. fast, yes. Okay. That's all you need to the know. The Fast and it. the Furious in anime. Literally. I think we even get a good shot of her, like, running and curving around a corner, like, th- that, like, 35-degree angle from the ground run. Yeah, yeah. it's like Child's uh, book author becomes, like, a drag racer. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've covered, we've covered who Kaori Minizuki is. We've covered her motive. Let's talk about how she kind of gets the, this first encounter she has with Q and Kinta and then how she uh, kind of does this murder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so she she gets her way to sit, sit with them, and she's looking to establish an alibi. And this is kind of when we start to get inside her head, which was really interesting, because we get to see her thoughts all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her two-faced nature. But basically, very calculated, something about, like, it's almost time. There's an, I've got an hour to do it. Yeah, she's literally like, I'm going to this place, children. Doesn't that sound neat? By the way, I'm this famous person. <laughs> and don't you remember meeting me? Yeah. Uh, then she c- does something to conveniently force herself to get a phone call so that she can go away for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't show us what she uses to make her phone ring. She puts her hand in her pocket and then the phone rings. Yeah. I mean, I with older phones, you could just adjust the volume and your ringtone would go off. Her phone was in example. her bag, though. And her yeah. she went into her pocket and messed with like a key ring or something. Maybe mm-hmm. a second phone, maybe a device... I, I believe it. We should we should remember throughout that this is 2003, 2004 for mm-hmm. the purpose of technology. She just kind of had a friend call her and ignored it. <laughs> then the friend would know about the murder. Or that she asked them to call her. Yeah, which would be weird. Mm. Yeah, so a loose end. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't actually go to take a phone call. She goes to jump into Initial D, a different animation. <laughs> <laughs> They're like pulling up at a stop and she sprints out of the doors as soon as they open. I love the little detail here. It's like murder, 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 murder. But she's got this cute little snowman keychain. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. She's get got that. like a soft side. I liked mm-hmm. that her car was hidden in the grass. Yeah, <laughs> like off road, and she jumps into it, and she's like, "I've got plenty of time." Uh, and she goes to meet the guy she's going to kill, Kenji Taga, just on a stretch of road in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff they don't touch on that would be kind of like incriminating paperwork in this part. I think because she right. would have driven to this station taken a train back taken a train there like there's a lot of steps in this process where other people were involved and like i know that trains don't have super heavy security on like who's buying tickets when especially she's doing it with cash but it still seems like very risky to be taking this many trains back and forth yeah Yeah. but generally speaking this comes off as a plan that she thinks is more clever than it is so i think (laughs) that's okay because the loose ends do effectively tie her up yep (laughs) but i think i think she would have succeeded if it weren't for having happened to sit across from these boys wasn't for those meddling kids mm-hmm. these meddling kids so she gets to this point and she has this encounter with the with the man that she then 
murders. She just stabs him right on to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's especially notable. I wrote down what he says to her right before she stabs him, mm-hmm. which is, I'm just not interested in another relationship with you at this point. I mean, the subtitled version that someone has translated what he says. Well, this was like a vague interaction, yeah, where he was referring to her in a very formal way with an honorific and her her, uh, family name. Ah. So it's like very business, business. And she's like, oh, you're being so business-like. And he's like, yeah, I'm not interested in like a relationship with you, like being vague so that we don't know her motive yet, I guess. I see. But it's hinted at. Yes. And I think uh, this is where she commits probably, in my opinion, the greatest mistake of the whole crime which is that after stabbing someone, you just let him, like, keep walking to your car? Right! He falls on the car and, like, touches all over it. Yeah, and gets blood on her stuff, and it is just like, what are you doing? Well, that's just it. He gets blood on her stuff. And not just the blood, but even, like, the fingerprints on the car would be enough if yeah. someone found them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She, she really, like, after she kills him, she has a moment of just, like... <sighs> Heavy breathing, standing there, like completely losing the urgency that she had to to make it snappy. Mm-hmm. Yes, and have any has anyone, especially a writer at this point, really hit the point where you still think stabbing somebody one time is going to kill them? <laughs> Do we yeah. think that's true? She did not have enough backup plans. I think is the case here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she even she's like, okay. I've practiced this. Even in the worst case scenario, I'll have an extra 15 minutes, even in the worst traffic. And it's like, oh, right. but the road is literally closed. As soon as she leans to the crime scene, the, the road is blocked. And this is something, too, where I was like, well, this totally blows your plan. Because she rolls down her window and talks to the construction worker. <laughs> she did. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Who is a witness to attest that she's not on the train. And then she's right by the scene of the murder. She just is driving either. away from where it happened. <laughs> the whole point oh of what God. she's doing is to convince everybody she's on the train during the span of this hour. <laughs> oh, wait, but she's got her murder coat on, so she's she in disguise. Does. Oh, yeah, she has this dark murder coat on. But she makes such a big uh, impression, too, because she, like, rolls right up to him, opens her window, and basically yells about it. And then takes off, like, does a full Yui in the road, like, very dramatically. And it's yeah. like, bye, idiot! <laughs> and instead of the direct route she wanted to take, which would have given her time to spare, she has to go through, like, these back roads on, like, the side of a mountain. And the getting on the train is so dramatic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's, like, running, 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 running. I thought when they were focusing on her feet, and this is a thing with me because I have... Have a thing for feet? I've sprained my ankle many times. Oh, no, okay. So mm-hmm. I get very squeamish, like, saw two, forget it, when that guy breaks his leg. Ugh. But when she was running up the stairs and they were focusing on her legs, I was like, she's going to break an ankle and I'm going to barf. It didn't happen. Thank God. Oh, yeah. That would be something to give her away. <laughs> How did you break your ankle on this train? <laughs> well, I also thought that this, uh, this like, process, because they really beautifully show us the map that is, like, a really well-designed piece of storytelling, which is, like, here is the straight road yeah. and here is the wild curvy road that now she has to go on. I mm-hmm. thought that that was going to introduce some tension right then like here we go she's gonna go down this curvy road it's gonna take her forever but they actually skip it and it turns out that that the actual like sacrifice she made by going on the curvy road is that she's out of breath when she gets on the train (laughs) yeah well the the moment when the doors close they do that thing where they don't actually show you whether or not she got on right and i think they even cut to a commercial and when they come back she's on the train yes uh i think so yeah yeah 
Oh, but the other thing, of course, is when she's trying to get on the train, she's like, wait, don't close the doors. And she screams, which is another thing that might draw attention to the fact that you're not on the train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she was not careful. Not at all. But she does get back onto the train. So mm-hmm. like, OK, it looks like maybe she picked up her plan. Mm-hmm. Well, she's so she's down and out. She's on the floor. She's sweating profusely and yep. heaving like heavy breath uh-huh. she's like i made it and so of course that's really the showing where... off that anime design Ugh. yeah <laughs> where q pops in he's like hey why are you all sweaty and tired <laughs> yeah you're having a weird phone conversation lady and it's safe to say like he's gonna figure it out yeah from seeing just this on her of course he doesn't know that anyone has been murdered but there's no reason for her to be sweaty when she's on uh, an air-conditioned train yeah, and this is the part, Caleb, that you talked about before where she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm nosy. <laughs> yes, and he's got on a really good customer service face, which is just <laughs> like, I'm not betraying anything about how I feel about what you're doing. I'm just going to let you talk. Yeah. <laughs> and she kind of, she kind of, I think she then like gets back on track or what she thought she was going to do because she has this whole plan. Like she wants to interact with him in a way that'll make it memorable that she was there the whole time or mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. So she starts by showing them her phone to show them this picture of her with her ex. Well, before we get to that, uh, Don calls. Oh, before that? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's after. Oh, I thought you... Okay, yeah, yeah, I know. She shows them the picture on the phone first. Yeah. And there, there's, there's, there's two other things that happen here. One is Kinta lets out the secret that they're DDS students. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Putting the pressure, more pressure on her. And the second thing is this thing with the illustration. Oh, yeah. It was my favorite part of the episode by (laughs) a mile because I got to feel smart. I got to figure it out right away. And it was hilarious. It's the first time in this episode where I started thinking, okay, wait a second. Is Detective Academy Q a comedy? Like, is that what it is? (laughs) It's humorous. It's humorous. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She's like... I don't know why, but she's decided to show them this illustration. I think because her her thing is she was on the phone with her editor who asked her to redraw it. Yeah. So by showing them the illustration, it explains why she was away for so yeah, long. Yeah, it's the thing that she was talking about. And she was also holding it right. like, mm-hmm. the whole time during but the murder, which was genius. First, she realizes, yeah. First, she realizes that the envelope, the manila envelope has blood it's all over. It's covered in a victim's <laughs> blood. So where is she going to hide it? She crumples it up and <laughs> stuffs it in her bag. <laughs> the most stupid, like, oh! Oh, nothing. Smash, smash, smash. Kind of <laughs> completely tactless shoving it away. Um, but they don't let us see the illustration right away. But she looks at it and uh-oh, something's wrong. And she grabs a red pen. Well, Q's like, can I look? And she's like, it's not done. <laughs> she grabs a red pen and scribbles on it. And now we get to look at the illustration. And what do, what do we see? We see that she has drawn red lines around the blood with her red marker. <laughs> that is just like the perfect color of the blood. Just flawless yes. consistency. But she has drawn, and they don't reveal this for a few minutes, but I, uh, brain genius, absolutely noticed it right away. Uh, she drew the sun on the side of the shadows in the drawing. I didn't pick up that detail. I was just looking for the red and I spotted the sun. Yeah. So I think you can give yourself some points. <laughs> Thank you. Thank for you. That. They, to be fair, after Q looks at it, he goes, <gasps> and then they zoom in. <laughs> so... Yeah, he, he knew right away. <laughs> And the, yeah, like, just like you, I was like, wait, so there was a blood spot on it and she has this marker. And when you look at it, the marker and the blood look exactly the same. Is mm-hmm. she carrying around a blood pen? Maybe. Mm-hmm. What is she, a vampire scribe? Well, she's pivoting, you know, she's doing some picture books for adults. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Ugh. There's got to be a market out there for like books printed in your own blood. Like there's a website where I could buy one of these, right? I mean, the Whoa. Muter Museum has a collection of books made of human skin, and that's not completely different. Are are you being um, paid for by the Philadelphia Board of Tourism to advertise? No, the but I Museum? wonder how they're doing. I hope they're okay. Yeah, yeah I would say that. <laughs> I would say it's not even a little bit different. It is just as creepy. <laughs> Well, maybe that was her planning ahead. Maybe she's like, I, I need a, a marker that can match the victim's blood just in case. Just in case. <laughs> well, at, any good artist has colors available for anything they could possibly want to draw. And I think that's oh, just, yeah. she's just generally prepared. Now I kind of wish she'd gotten a blood spatter on her cheek instead and had to like put heavy, heavy red makeup on her face and had came out with like Pikachu cheeks. <laughs> and then she would have taken off her glasses and finally realized how beautiful she is. <laughs> While we're talking about this illustration, I just came up with a fun thought experiment. Mm. What could she have t- turned that blood dot into other than a sun oh. that might have disguised it better? A uh, UFO. It's a balloon. She could have drawn 99 red balloons. Oh, she could have drawn 99 red balloons. There could have been 99 red balloons on that piece of paper, and then she would have gotten away with it to this day. I don't know. For me, a dot on a piece of paper and you're doodling, you draw a second dot, and then there are two eyes of something. You're suggesting like a, a horrifying eye monster in like with no. two big bloody red eyes in the sky above this cute animal? Sure. Gonna murder it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> She's pivoting the story. She's, well, she has to redraw it anyway, really. So she could have just scribbled all over it. Like, he doesn't even like this anyway. <laughs> right. Well, she's changing her pen name to be, uh, she's changing her pen name to be K Minazuki. Yes. Or Kauri M, mm-hmm. period. Kauri, okay. she's changing her pen name to be Kauri M, and then she's going to start writing horror. Okay. That's my joke. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so much effort for one joke. So all of that happens, and this is where we get the very convenient phone call. Ah, that's where Don calls, yes. (laughs) And he's just like, uh, so this guy was murdered, and Q's immediately like, oh, it's the ex-boyfriend, she did it. He calls them because he knows they're nearby, he sends them a picture of the murderer, and they've just seen his picture on the phone. Mm -hmm. He knows they're nearby is a very generous way to put it. He decides (laughs) to call them because this town is on their train route over an hour ago. Oh, that is a little stalkery, I didn't think of that. (laughs) You were, you're on a train, you're driving past the spot where this guy was murdered. Uh-oh, do I have to go back and look for cactuses, Noah? No, I don't think uh, Nanami, the teacher who's a master of disguise, was hiding in the background, because uh, they would have revealed it. But how else would Don know? He was the phone. Oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Nanami was the phone. <laughs> Genius. Um, yeah, it's very weird and stalkery and coincidental. Like you were saying, Caleb, like for them to be on the train, to interact with this woman, to have this phone call, like there's a lot of weird detective show nonsense happening to, <laughs> to bring this episode together. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it, except that because the story has framed us to sort of pay attention to Kauri as sort of the like voice of it, Minazuki, uh, as like the voice of it as our character who we're sort of paying attention to, that it just draws, it draws really, really heavy attention to all of that stuff in a way that the show sometimes I think tries to avoid drawing attention to. Yeah, this is all about how is Q going to figure it out? Because Mm -hmm. we see exactly what she does and how she does it, how her plan is going to work. Oh, this reminds me because Q immediately deduces that uh, while talking to Don, even. Yeah. That uh, the murder weapon was a knife. Yeah. I didn't catch how he figured that out. Because he noticed, because he knew there was blood spatter. So he guessed knife. I see. I think, Caleb, the thing that you noticed about the shadows is one of the things that was like a what like one of the things that was revealed. The the things that are revealed here are how does he figured it out? Because we know we know all this other stuff. Yes. But and but even that. So like that, I agree with you, is like the one 
big question mark that we get to actually see him solve. But this episode devotes a surprising amount of its runtime to having him repeat things that we already saw. Yes, I I took note of that as well. Like, there's a pretty long explanation of it, but we saw it happen. (laughs) So we didn't need it. (laughs) Well, you know, I appreciated it. They put all that effort into that map. They were going to use it a second time, goddammit. Yes, absolutely. I appreciated the map. I like, I love it. I want to use it in a D&D campaign. Um, (laughs) We'll definitely share that map on our Facebook page. So look out for that. Mm-hmm. Love diagrams. They are so good and like so bad for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so they, Q, Q gets Kinta to, to do a test mm-hmm. to prove that the woman is BSing them. Yeah, I loved I loved Kaori's energy at this point before they come back because she's like, okay, I got away with it. And it's like, in what universe could you possibly <laughs> believe she's gotten away with this? It seems like everything I've done so far has gone perfectly according to plan. <laughs> and what I love about their test is it's kind of the most straightforward, most obvious test you could do, mm-hmm. where they come back and they're like arguing that there was someone carried away on a stretcher. Was it a woman? Was it a man? Was it a woman? Was it a man? Mm-hmm. Um, and she even is like, aha. They're trying to trick me because they're from DDS. <laughs> She's like, I'm too clever for these children. So she claims to have missed the commotion because she was in the bathroom. But the whole point is that there was no commotion. Right. Which she doesn't know. But she acknowledges the commotion. Yeah. She could have just said she, she missed it entirely. No, and that's not even true. They, they say there is a commotion. They just say it wasn't because someone was sick. It's because somebody was famous. So, and her answer is, oh, I was in the bathroom during that. So... I don't really know, which like actually is not incriminating because taking information from your friend who says this thing happened while you were gone and then taking that as fact and using it to say, oh, I wasn't here when that thing happened doesn't mean that you made it up. <laughs> it means that you weren't there. <laughs> yeah, they have more of this um, high level intellectual sparring <laughs> that they're gonna do um so the next the next thing they go through is she's she's like i've been on this train the whole time i've been on this train the whole time and they bring up her phone battery mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is something that is something in this category of like we got a glimpse of it when she showed us the picture on the phone but it wasn't pointed out to us right but she was supposedly on a phone call for an hour and she still has full battery yep in 2004 uh uh-uh. uh, and they're even a little shady because like I was looking at her phone, I'm like that's a pretty old phone, but this is an old anime, and even uh, Kinta's like, and also your phone is old. Yeah, <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> it took me a second to process why he was saying it, and so it was so funny to just have him be like, oh, and also your phone's old. I'm a teen. And this next moment is fun too because you were talking, you're talking about her as being kind of like putting on a nice face, mm-hmm. and in a second she just kind of drops that to take a different approach. Because yeah. they're pressing her to show them the phone call. Yeah, so she's like, okay, so I don't have a phone history. The real truth is I hate you, <laughs> and I wanted to get away from you for an hour. I No, I loved it because I thought it was actually a great step to take. Like, it's like w- this two-faced person with who's trying to hide something. Instead of giving up, you just create a new face. Here's another yep. one. <laughs> and she still has her ticket. So she's like, how could I have gotten off the train if I still have her ticket? And they're like, easy, you bought a second ticket. Well, Kint is like, oh, it's a mystery. And, Kint- <laughs> and she's like, no, it's it's really easy. She bought two tickets. And this is what you're saying about, like, how flimsy a train alibi is. Yeah. yeah. Q 
Q is like, Kinta, this one's actually really simple. Sweet baby. <laughs> My sweet baby tall friend. I have to tell you. You better hope she bought those tickets with cash. <laughs> and that there aren't two tickets on her card. Two credit card, card records. You know she bought card. it with it. She used a check and she signed it. And it. That's what she did. <laughs> she has her like receipt book where she, you know, wrote up all the expenses. Oh yeah, she recorded it in her ledger too. Yeah. (laughs) First Mm, ticket. But she says she did not commit a murder. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the point because she's pressing them for the hard evidence and the hard evidence, we already told you what it is. It's the super obvious evidence Mm -hmm. of the bloody envelope shoved in her bag. Mm -hmm. And that's when she kind of fills us in on her motive and her sad story and and that she was driven to kill him. Mm -hmm. And Caleb, you talked about this next, you alluded to this next moment, which is Q, like, consoles her? Yeah. She's like, it's all over. And he's like, nuh-uh, and here's why. Well, he's disappointed. Like, we learned pretty early on that he actually is a big fan of hers, and he's very excited to be, like, quote-unquote friends with someone famous, like, in the first moment of this. And then when he finds out she's a murderer, like it would seem everyone Q comes near lately. Yes. I think that must be really sad. And he, he says, he's like... This is sort of, he's like, when I was little, your books specifically helped me come to terms and understand, like, what was going on with my family, because I was able to sort of look at your representation of, like, a happy family and compare mine to it and figure out where I fit there. Um, And she actually seems pretty touched by that. And he specifically tells her not to stop writing books. Mm -hmm. You can write books in prison. Absolutely. Can you publish books for children from prison? I think that nothing would have, I think that if this happened, if anything else, her books would get more popular. Like, there's no way. (laughs) Well, for some people, for sure. But it is interesting because Q often tries to, like, deliver these terrible newses in such a way as to console the victim or the family member Mm -hmm. or the culprit. And it always seems to work even though it's always kind of suspect the exact things he's saying. <laughs> Do the people around him usually give up this easily? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, as soon as there, there's always that point when you present the evidence and then the person confesses, mm-hmm. but you really haven't proven the thing. Yeah. Against them. It's like, <laughs> I have three hints. Oh my God. He knows about the plant from my dressing room. I give up. I'm a murderer. <laughs> he found half of a bungee cord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Yep. So they're really going to try to spin us into this happy ending mm-hmm. to the point where Kinta and Q are watching her taken away by the police. Mm-hmm. And that's when we learn something very surprising. Yeah, they get a phone call and it's like, also, Taga is not dead. And then in another beautiful moment of there being no tension, they then in the post credit sequence show us him waking up as if it's a reveal then. <laughs> yeah, the post credit sequences for the show go run the full gamut of everything from like plot teasers a la the Marvel Cinematic Universe to like anime gags to whatever this was. I I almost wonder if this was just a dropped scene because it was so dramatic mm-hmm. for something we already knew. It's like he's like lost in this dark screaming void and then he wakes up confused in a sunlit uh, hospital room. But it's like, okay, we know. Did, did we decide he's a jerk? Yes. Yes. I, yes. I mean, like, <laughs> I think I already alluded to this, but I think this episode actually does kind of want you to get why she did this. Like in a way yeah. that's like even further than just like, ah, oh, what a sad life of crime. Like to the point that by letting him survive, they're also letting it have not been a big deal in the first place that she stabbed him. Yeah. Right. She's not going to go. She's not going to get pinned for murder because 
Just attempted. Just attempted, yeah. <laughs> so she'll definitely be able to write some more books. Yay! Which makes you wonder, like, what actually... So, like, what is her redeeming quality? And is it just the fact that Q likes her? She, uh, um, wears glasses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She rides trains. I think maybe the implication is that for all her two-facedness, we see her real face in her writing and in what she mm-hmm. wants people to learn and feel. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm, there's got to be some stories out there of, like, picture book authors and their sordid, like, love affairs. We never really hear there much have to be? <laughs> about the people behind it. There well, have to be. <laughs> I do. I actually want to dig further into what you guys, what we were talking about a second ago, which is mm-hmm. you, when I mentioned like, oh, I think maybe she would become more popular after this. Yeah. How would the two of you, imagining you're having to purchase a picture book, how would you react having heard this story about her and seeing a nice picture book you would otherwise buy? I'd be like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, so let's let's teach you a lesson, child of mine, for who I am buying this book. Mm-hmm. This is someone who tried to kill someone because they were mad, but it didn't work. And so we support them financially by purchasing this book <laughs> at our local Barnes and Noble. Sure. Uh, wait, but what about what about a universe? Okay, let's say we're going forward from this episode. If mm-hmm. he really had the power to end her career, pre this, her career would have been over. Post this. He's still alive, but she has a career. Mm. Now see which one of those is a better reality. Mm. Well, she didn't actually need to kill him. She just needed to devise a better plan. A better plan to kill him? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. No. (laughs) A better plan to get her to to get her contract back, you know, like like where he tapes her where she tapes him being a jerk. I don't know that that kind of thing would work in Japan. Mm. Uh, mm. where he's the man with the dominating power dynamic oh, and she's the woman who's fallen victim to his uh, whims. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's... I think she's uh, she's authentically screwed. Mm. That's kind of what I was curious about because I can say that like, based on what I know about publishing here, that situation could definitely get in somebody's way. But if she was already having a successful picture book career, it would not be difficult to find another editor based on Someone a, else on would want to pick publishing. you up. Well, in, J- in Japan, I can't say I know everything about the Japanese publishing culture, but in general, business culture, like, everything's by introduction. Like, you're not going to get your foot in the door somewhere unless someone's like, hey, here's this person. Yeah. They're good at this. So by having her, like, editor drop her and not want her to succeed anymore, it's it could be pretty damning to her career. Even in America, and, like, especially probably in, you know, the 2000s, early 2000s, like, the possibility for a shitty man to ruin your career is very, very plausible. <laughs> yes. She should just self-publish and just give out the books to children riding alone on trains who she talks to. <laughs> that should be her way back in. She's got all this money for uh-huh. train rides. Yep. <laughs> hey, she bought two tickets. She's got she's got what training around money. Yeah. Yeah. So we've 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 covered all the angles of this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all the angles. And then yeah, there's six of them. It's a hexagon. Yep. <laughs> So Caleb, you you prepared quite a bit in that you watched the first episode and uh, listened to one podcast episode covering another plot arc. Uh, how did this meet your expectations? H- how do you rate it informally? Oh, like compared to the rest of the show? Compared to the rest of the show, or on its own, all the all that stuff. Yeah. So I think that this episode was bad. <laughs> I see. 
<laughs> but I uh, but I think like there's stuff about it that I found really funny and fun. And if you yeah. approach it as kind of like a sort of like a bumbling comedy of murders, then like it works fine on that level, I think. But there's definitely there is such a criminal amount of wasted energy less time of having him repeat stuff in this episode yeah that mm-hmm. it is like it is like very hard to be like and now i want to show this episode to everyone i've ever met in my life but i think that as like a piece of a broader show and based on what the detective academy q is doing like it seems like it fits in fine yeah mm-hmm. it is a nice change that they're really like the episode right before this which we covered in podcast episode 12 was another thing where they stumble on a murder. There were four suspects. By the end of the episode, they figured out who it was. Mm-hmm. And this really changed that formula, period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think that, uh, like, I have done, you know, I have, like, the Sonic the Hedgehog podcast, and I've done uh, hundreds of hours of sitting in front of something that I would call bad that I still think is totally worth talking about and engaging Are with. Are you talking about Sonic Underground by any chance? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole first section of our Sonic podcast that I did for a couple of years uh, was about Sonic Underground, and it is a treat. It is a treat, oh, but boy. there is no yeah. episode that I would describe as, like, meatier than this episode we watched today. <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting. I... We've, I think we've enjoyed this all the way through. We've definitely found some episodes more successful in terms of the mysteries they're setting up and how exciting that is. There was certainly a missed opportunity for tension in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think they really wanted it to read as a showdown of wits mm-hmm. between Q and this author. But, but she, Q, she she just failed at every turn. And mm-hmm. Q is like, he's not a good showdown of wits guy. Yeah. He's no. like so pleasant. He's small. He's not imposing, you know. Yeah, and he was a little diminutive every time he's like, yeah, but you you were wrong because this, or yeah, it's really obvious because this. Like he was yeah. pretty like mm, you're not that clever. He's not like I'm gonna trap you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the episode did not have a lot of respect for Minazuki. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think, based on what you've seen of Detective Academy Q so far? Would you Would you watch more? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually have been thinking about it mostly because I love having stuff like this just sort of on, and also because I I do. The thrill of the mystery is like that shadows going the wrong way moment where this episode still gave me a moment where I could feel very smart, (laughs) even as it handed everything else to me. Well, I do recommend that five episode arc we covered with the um, Kamakakushi village. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. like one episode before that's kind of an optional lead up episode. Um, With fun diagrams and dioramas. There's lots of fun diagrams in there. My favorite. And... Boy, is there a conclusion there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to see like them really trying to go for drama and people shouting at each other and being real emotional, th- there's some of that in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, that is what I want. I must go for it. Any feelings about the end theme at all? I prefer it over the beginning. <laughs> oh, um, wow. I actually really like Controversial. it. Controversial. Um, uh, I'm, I'm on that train too. Really? Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, so this is our second episode with this ending theme, and it's actually by uh, Kishimoto Hayami, which is the singer of the first opening theme. Right. Which I also prefer to the current opening theme. Mm. Uh, so we know everything about her. 
I, we don't have to explain more about uh, Kishimoto Hayami, but uh, it, it's a fun little thing. Yeah. The, the animation isn't that exciting. No. No, the one thing I will say about it is it has that fun quality of feeling like it was recorded by someone, like, in their own garage. Like, the vocal quality <laughs> and everything is, like, really... It, it's because it's, like, on YouTube and it's older, but... And I don't say that as a bad thing at all. I love music that sounds like that. We're spoiled right now because we just started watching uh, Great Pretender, which, in the timeline of recording this podcast, just came out on Netflix, the first 14 episodes of this Ooh. heist con man anime mm-hmm. and uh in the ending for the ending theme they're legitimately using the great pretender the great pretender song yeah yeah well so they're using freddie mercury's vocals i think they've redone the surrounding oh, music okay. but it is freddie mercury singing it so that's like netflix is trying to skip to the next episode i'm like no <laughs> i want to watch this cat dance to freddie mercury yeah are you guys going to talk about that show? I need to watch that. <laughs> we'll think about it. We've we've got some ideas. It's it, it doesn't quite fit on its own, but we've we've got some ideas. We're nearing the end of our time on this podcast, so I want to do another shout out to uh, sending us emails to dyingmessagepodcast at gmail because you know, like we always have crazy thoughts about these things and fun things to say, and we want to hear what you think too, or questions that you have for us. Yeah, or you can draw uh, your version of what you would have drawn over the blood stain on the design and, oh, and yeah. send that to us. Oh, we'll share the heck out of that. We'll <laughs> reserve the right not to, but, you know, yeah, we'd don't, like to. Don't put any, like, penises in it. <laughs> or do! And it'll, be, it'll be just for us. Those are not for sharing. <laughs> and, Caleb, so you told us a bit about your books. You just alluded to your... Uh, previous podcast about sonic the hedgehog mm-hmm. where where should people go to like find some of this stuff what do you what do you want to get out there in the world yeah uh so obviously picking up my books would be great but i think if you like this show i have two podcasts both of which are sort of tangentially anime related because they are both yeah. talking about uh products that are very heavy on the anime side one of them is a podcast that follows day by day the game persona 4 Ooh. And talks through like everything that happens in that game in excruciating detail, uh, sort of trying to riff off of a very small amount. Usually we started off with like one or like two or three days at a time, and then we eventually got to doing weeks at a time. It's an unfinished project that hopefully we'll get back to. That's called Every Day's Great Persona in Real Time. And then I have a podcast that is about Sonic the Hedgehog, the intent of which was to see like, can we see everything there is to see about Sonic to sort of fully understand what he is and why he's important, which ended up because the stuff that people don't know the most about is really the TV shows, like how those all have contributed to his legacy, not just the like sort of sordid legacy of bad video games mixed in with a few good ones. Uh, And that one is an absolute blast. It's called Your Two Show. Ha! (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog fancast. And you can find both of those anywhere you can find podcasts. So easy to find. You're going to have to come back and do another episode of that to cover the movie. I know. I, I got to do a fun review of the movie for Tor.com, which you can search, but I didn't get to do... We haven't recorded an episode about that, and I would love to. The movie is a blast. Out of curiosity for your podcast, how many years of Archie comics have you had to subject yourself to? <laughs> so I myself have read a pretty good chunk of them, but we didn't talk about them for the podcast. Oh, okay. Yet, mostly because we were so stuck on how much TV show there was. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and part of the fun, this is like a silly way to put it, I guess, but part of the fun of the podcast is when you can take something that's sort of like flawed and messy and full of all this weird detail and find like 
the good stuff in it. And the mm-hmm. comics just like start out really good. And it's there's something that's like a little bit less engaging about like taking something that's so good and just being like, this is great. <laughs> you should read this. <laughs> we have no context for uh, what that is like. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, people should definitely check all of that stuff out. And in our next episode, we will be covering Detective Academy Q episodes 24 and 25, two-episode murder mystery. Pop Idol is killed in a locked room, and Class Q has a battle of wits against the returning characters from Class A, or at least um, one one character is returning. Ooh, I wonder if the Pop Idol is going to be somebody, like a Pop Idol, a Japanese idol. I look forward to learning about Pop Idols. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder if it's Kishimoto Hayami. I'm excited. So thank you all so much. I'm now addressing the listeners for listening to this podcast. We love having you along with us for the ride and you can help spread the word about the podcast and support us. The best thing to do is to like and review us wherever it is you're listening to this and also subscribe as well. So you, you keep up to date with us. We're coming out with new episodes every week, like a clock that is set to days instead of hours. (laughs) A classic day clock. (laughs) <laughs> a classic day clock you can connect with you can uh, like our page dying message podcast on facebook you can follow us on twitter at dying message pod send us that email at uh, dying message podcast at gmail.com and uh, keep listening as we work our way through detective academy q and then discover some other animes as well mm. so caleb thank yes. you so much <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome thank you uh lots lots of fun talking about all of this stuff but i do need to ask you before you go what can you tell us about the case of the mysterious book recommendations okay so the reason i wanted to bring this one up is because it is a an unsolved mystery to this day that has followed me since i think 2012 so it's like an eight year old mystery that i think there is still a chance for it to be solved i'll give you guys the clues And hopefully someone will listen to this sometime and will be able to tell me who it was. Like a Craigslist missing connections. Yes, very similar to that. So I got a postcard in the mail in 2012 in my like college apartment at the time that was not, did not have anybody's information on it. I believe it was a, a postcard from Martha's Vineyard, which was strange because I lived in Georgia and didn't know anybody who would have been there at the time. And it was addressed to my full name, Caleb Zane Hewitt, like my first middle and last name, which is not the thing that like official documents usually do. And it was handwritten Mm. and it was not a handwriting that I recognized in great detail. And all that was written on the postcard on the back of this, like, thanks for coming to Martha's Vineyard kind of thing uh, was a quote from what I found out from Googling was a book. And the quote basically said, he's gentle. So you think he's weak. He's nice. So you think he's stupid, like something like that. Don't remember the exact words, but I found out it was from the book The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss, which is the second book in his Kingkiller Chronicle series, which is kind of infamous now. This was it was a quote from the second one, which I guess this is another that's an indictment of this is that the second one came out before I received this postcard eight years ago and the third one has <laughs> yet to come. Um, but I received this and I had never heard of the series before that time. So I like looked up the quote, found the book series. I got the books. I read them. I liked them pretty well. I read them in part because I was like, who is this? Who sent this to me? Is there a clue in here? I messaged everybody I could think of at the time, like everyone I knew, and nobody ever owned up to having sent the postcard. So I have this like very mysterious, like this memory in my life of someone having recommended this book to me in this very indirect way and then never, ever owning up to it. I have three theories. 
Okay, I'm ready to hear them. I need your help. The first theory is that it could be Patrick Rothfuss. <gasps> Ooh. I've never asked him. <laughs> you know, who else has more to gain from promoting his books? I bet you could get him to, if you like tweeted him about that, I bet you could get him to retweet it and find out who did it. Oh, that might help. I bet that could happen. That's a great recommendation. That's a really good idea. What are your other two theories? <laughs> uh, my other theory is maybe it's Martha. Okay, who owns, see, who okay. owns the vineyard? <laughs> yeah, and Occam's razor, really. Who else? <laughs> Simplest explanation. And um, my third theory is maybe it's you from the future. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It does seem like something I would do. Was it in your own handwriting? And maybe your own blood? Absolutely not. It was legible. <laughs> I'm going to propose a fourth theory because I, okay, having yeah. indulged in like anime convention nerd culture and known a lot of awkward nerds in my life and especially known plenty of people who are super into those books mm-hmm. i would say it's just someone who really likes those books is a little awkward and weird and thought they were being romantic and was crushing on you and sent you that quote because they thought it was powerful that's uh, my guess see and i would believe it because it was a very uh it was a very complimentary quote that i was very ready to receive as being about me <laughs> and so i love that idea i love to imagine a secret crush but I, uh, but nobody, yeah, but nobody ever owned up to it. And I, I, I like to think of myself as someone who is very easy to have a crush on. Didn't the Obamas go to Martha's Vineyard? <gasps> Was it Barack Obama? <laughs> oh my gosh, I've never seen the Obamas in that postcard in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was from, uh, the dog. The dog? They had, like, two dogs when in the White House, right? And that closes the case on this week's Dying Message, the Detective Anime Mystery Podcast. Episode 15, in which we eat lunch on a train. Podcast cover art created by Miriam Bloom. Music excerpted from Solve That Damn Mystery by Jesse Spillane. Thank you again to our mystery guest, Caleb Zane Hewitt. Coming up, will Michael recognize any of the guest voices on this episode? Can Q make it on his own? What are sports? All that and more when we next examine the scene of the crime for that fatal note. The dying message. Caleb, I have to ask this with you being just a voice in the air and not Mm -hmm. a person in front of me. Do you have red hair? Oh, uh, the answer, in my opinion, is no. The answer, in the opinion of everyone I've ever known in my whole life, is yes. Okay, so so you're you're a Kavoth type according to somebody who likes that book so yeah exactly. someone was crushing on you and thought you were like quoth yeah oh god no <laughs> <laughs> the most infuriating main character in any series ever yes. i borrowed oh, more infuriating than q the same yes. infuriating as q i don't know i borrowed more, more infuriating more worse <laughs> i borrowed a copy of that book for two or three years and read about 150 pages oh great it was great <laughs> I loved loved those pages. <laughs> I don't um, think I don't think it began to rise my ire at the main character until the second book. I still think yeah. they're great reads. They're just uh very silly.